Welcome to the latest in the Bova News podcast series. This is Mike Opperman, and I'll be your host today. Today, we're putting our focus on managing beef replacement heifers. Before long, heifers will be coming off pasture, and producers will have to make decisions about which to keep as future brood cows. In today's podcast, we'll learn about low input systems that paint a little bit different picture of replacement selection. Visiting with me today is Dr. Jordan Thomas, who's an assistant professor and state beef reproduction specialist in the Division of Animal Sciences at the University of Missouri. Dr. Thomas is a Missouri native and University of Missouri alumnus, having earned his PhD in animal sciences with an emphasis in reproductive physiology in 2017. Dr. Thomas maintains an active applied research program in reproductive management in beef cattle, coordinates the breeding program for cattle across the University of Missouri Agricultural Experiment Station Research Center, HERDS, and serves as program advisor to the Show Me Select Replacement Method Program. His primary research focus is the control of the bovine estrus cycle, specifically to facilitate use of reproduction te- reproductive technologies such as timed artificial insemination and embryo transfer. Welcome, Jordan. Well, thank you for having me, Mike. It's, it's good to talk to you. Yeah, so let's just jump into it and start off with kind of, if you could kind of give us an overview of how replacement heifer selection happens uh, on most cow-calf operations today. Sure, well, you know, there's two, there's two places to start maybe. The first one is, just general commercial cattle production versus seed stock um, mm-hmm. systems. And I think it's important to draw that distinction because obviously our goal is to turn a profit in either case, right? But we, but we get compensated pretty differently in the commercial world than we do in the seed stock world. And so in the seed stock world, you know, we're trying to make long-term genetic progress and, and really eke out the profitability of the enterprise as a function of the, just the genetic merit of the animals. Now, in a commercial um, in a commercial operation, that's not to say that you know genetics don't matter. Obviously, they, they do matter, but we we get paid in the short term based on the observed performance of the animals, and so a lot of the management and the the environment, so to speak, that that we know you know has an impact on what we call the phenotype of the animal, what we actually observe, what kind of performance we actually get. That really matters on the commercial side of things. Some of these goals are a little bit different in terms of how we realize profitability in commercial versus seed stock cattle. So most of what I tend to focus on is the commercial side of things, um, because I think that's where we really have some challenges as an industry, especially in this area. So from a commercial perspective, you know, as we think about selecting replacement heifers and as we think about developing replacement heifers, trying to get them bred, the, the, very, um, the very first place to start there is, does it actually turn a profit to do that? Does it actually generate um, actual returns to invest that time and that, that energy and obviously those resources into heifer development? Um, so I, I tend to take an enterprise accounting type of approach where we have to really buy that weaned heifer calf from the cow-calf enterprise at weaning. And then we have to look at what is the value of that bred replacement heifer that returns to the cow herd. You know, what proportion of them do we actually get to do that? 
and what are our costs in that program? And as an independent enterprise, if, if we just draw a circle around that piece of the operation and we look at the costs and, and the value associated with heifer development, are, are the heifers themselves independently turning a profit? Because although it may not be intuitive that they need to, they really do need to because they're going to use up resources you know, whether that's acres of land, whether that's working capital, whether that's feed resources, they're going to use up resources that could have been used to do something else that actually turned a profit, right? And, and so if, if heifers really aren't independently turning a profit um, in terms of the heifer development business or the heifer development enterprise within the overall um, business of the operation, it's actually time to give them up. Uh, and, and look at buying bred heifers or, or potentially even buying bred cows and, and not developing one's own heifers. Now that said, um, heifer development actually can be a really, really profitable component of the overall operation. If you, you, know, if you, if you have the costs and the values um, really, really locked in for those heifers, um, it can be a really profitable enterprise when we draw that circle around just the heifer development um, piece. A, a couple examples of that in, in the state of Missouri, um, we have a show me select replacement heifer um, program. And a lot of producers that have gotten into that program over the years have uh, gradually moved their operations more, um, more towards essentially being custom heifer developer developers because of just the um, the profitability that they have in that particular enterprise and, and I notice this in my own case as well you know if I if I draw a circle so to speak around just the heifer development piece of you know my own operation I actually turn more profit uh, developing and, and breeding heifers than I do just about anything else and so there really is opportunity there um, but a lot of what we have to think through is the cost control side of things and and how we market those animals so um, that brings up a couple of questions that I have. First of all, you talk about the costs associated with heifer development, but then you also talk about the value of those heifers. How do you put a value on a heifer that you raise in your operation? Well, that's a good, that's a really good question. I think there's probably different ways to, to think through that answer, Mike, but I, the way that I always um, approach this kind of question is she's really worth what she's worth to the market, not necessarily what your cost of production is in her. So if you're going to think about developing your own replacement heifer calves, it really doesn't matter if your cost of production on that calf was, was fairly low or, or, or fairly high, what she's worth is really what she's worth as a weaned heifer calf on the market. So that is, that is what I would use as the incoming value estimate for that heifer calf. If you could have sold her at weaning or after preconditioning or something like that, what would she have sold for as just that, that weaned heifer? That would be my, my starting point. In terms of coming up with a value of what she would be as a bread replacement, which I think is also a really important estimate if you're gonna decide, um, you know, decide whether this business makes some sense. In that case, um, I, I don't know that you always have to use the exact average value for bread replacements in your particular region necessarily, because you might have a premium product, right? If, if you have a, um, a premium type of heifer that on the market would actually bring quite a bit more than that average, um, then, then value that appropriately. You know, if you really believe there's some, 
special value in the genetics of, of your operation or the adaption of those animals to your environment, you need to, you need to inflate the value of those bred heifers in order to, uh, to, to really indicate that piece of profitability that you're adding. An example of that, I, I write about this topic fairly frequently, and I had written one piece that uh, kind of made this point, you know, that if you're not independently profitable, developing heifers as an independent enterprise, you probably ought to get out of the heifer development game and, and focus on running cows. And I um, got a very thoughtful email uh, from a producer in, a, in another state, kind of a tougher environment, um, just making the point that, you know, females developed on that operation are really adapted to that environment. And, and I certainly can appreciate that. We actually think through some of those same considerations in Missouri because of fescue and end of fight and heat stress and things like that. Um, so, so when you are in those situations where animals that are from that environment, maybe you do feel like they have some additional value, you may need to inflate what the value is in terms of, of buying those females. But at the same time, it doesn't give you license to have a limitless budget on de their development, right? They still need to, to really um, be profitable to produce. Otherwise, we need to hunt for, um, you know, premium heifers from a different source. Right. And kind of talking a little bit more on that value side, you know, um, value is kind of in the eye of the beholder, right? So you might, there may be some bias on, you know, the, my heifers that I raise versus my neighbors. How do you look kind of underneath the hide and and understand get a be better understanding of the value of those heifers uh, rather than just on visual appraisal or your own bias? Sure. So value, you know, value is one of those things where I think it, how we define it can vary. When I think about what is the actual value of an animal, I'm often thinking about what is my my opportunity based on the way that my business is structured or the resources of my farm or ranch, what is my opportunity to, to generate profit on that animal? That's when I think about essentially the value proposition of owning an animal. So when it comes to replacement heifers, we put way too much emphasis as an industry on their visual appearance. That's not to say that, you know, you, you need to run a set of, you know, mongrel animals that are all, all sorts of different types and colors and things like that and not to care anything about it. Because obviously it does influence, um, you know, the value of the calf crop and things like that. But, but at the same time, if you think about typical selection practices, for example, in replacement heifers, it's very common that commercial producers will go into a pen of calves at weaning and we'll essentially have this idea of how many replacement heifers we want to develop we'll start picking out visually attractive calves at, at weaning, right? The heifers that have the, you know, what we consider to have the, maybe the best visual appearance uh, phenotype. That's really a problem. It, and and it, it really is more of a problem than we realize because we don't really get paid for the visual appearance of commercial heifers. What we actually get paid for is their long-term performance as, as cows. And much of that is really influenced not by you know, her visual appearance, but by something we can't even pick out at weaning, which is when does she conceive in her first breeding season? That is by far and away um, the main influencer of whether a heifer stands to generate life, lifelong profit is does she conceive early enough within her first breeding season to calve very early in her first calving season so that she can remain in the herd 
for multiple years, you know, so that she calves early enough that she has time to initiate cycles before the start of the next breeding season. She can breed back as a two-year-old and ideally breed back early. And, uh, and we set up this, um, you know, as opposed to a vicious cycle where those animals are going to fall out and, and move back and further back every year in the breeding season until they do fall out, we can set up kind of a virtuous cycle, right, where animals actually continue to conceive pretty early and, uh, and obviously wean older and therefore heavier calves. So really timing has as much to do with it as anything. Yeah, I think so. And I think that's an overlooked opportunity for commercial heifers is the timing of when we, when we become restrictive in our, uh, our selection decisions or our choosing of, of which heifer calves actually are afforded an opportunity to become replacements. Um, I, I have an extension publication out on this topic that just came out here a few weeks ago, just on selection and development of commercial replacement heifers. Um, and one thing I, I try to walk through in that publication is that we almost ought to think of every heifer calf that gets developed after weaning as a candidate, as a replacement candidate, not a, not a replacement because I really don't know whether she's a replacement heifer until she's checked several boxes. And, and by far the most important one is that she conceives at all, obviously. Mm -hmm. but, the, but the second one is that, you know, she has to conceive early. She really has to conceive early. Um, and so there's at least a reasonable argument to be made that if a heifer calf doesn't conceive very early, maybe I don't maybe I don't want her to conceive at all, you know, and so using short breeding programs in commercial heifers where they're only exposed to bulls for, you know, 30 days or even less, that can, that can make some sense. Um, programs for heifers that are AI only that will use an artificial insemination service, maybe breed repeats AI for another one or two rounds and, um, you know, essentially have a very short breeding program for heifers. Uh, those actually make some sense, but the, the reason they make sense is because the, the real value is in those early bred heifers and those later bred heifers are either an opportunity to market as bred females, you know, those heifers that can see the next cycle or the next cycle after that, or those open heifers, if our costs are held low enough in the program, may still be profitable essentially like stalker calves, right? Where they're profitable just because of the value of gain that they have achieved during that development program. Mm -hmm. And the fact that that value of gain was achieved at a pretty low cost of gain. So it, those, those are, I think, important considerations. What are the products that we actually have to market at the end of a development program? Because we're gonna develop some replacement heifer candidates, but really only a portion of them are going to become replacements. And so we also have two additional products. We have some later bred heifers that could potentially be marketed as breads if we have a market to do that. Or we have open feeder heifers uh, that again, may potentially actually be fairly profitable um, depending, on, depending on the market and depending on our costs. So it's, as we think about the level of inputs that we wanna use in a heifer development program, you know, that really, that really is an important, um, piece of information to have is what do I think the value of those early bred heifers is? Uh, what do I think the, the value of the later bred heifers is? Do I have an opportunity to actually market those? Um, can I market those at scale and, and you know, do, do reasonably well? 
And also, what is what is the value of the open animal? What is the value of the, the non-pregnant heifer at the end of that program? Just as a feeder animal. And if you lose money on the feeder animals, then you're inclined to push a little bit harder and, and maybe use some more inputs so that we maximize the number of bred heifers, right? If, um, if those open feeder heifers are pretty profitable uh, and we can achieve acceptable pregnancy rates with lower levels of input, um, it, it inclines you towards these lower input systems. So th that's really interesting on the value side. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about that input side. Tell us a little bit about uh, the, the low input system work that you're doing at University of Missouri. Sure. Well, well Missouri is an interesting state. It's interesting for a couple of reasons. One is that we have um, the opportunity to really calve in, in various seasons. Um, historically, Missouri would have been a what I call a winter calving type of system where a lot of calves are born in early March, maybe even February, maybe even January in some cases. And uh, we call those spring calving systems. They're really more winter calving systems. And the reason that we do that is typically because of the challenge of getting animals to conceive during the heat of the summer. So if you calve in the true spring, like uh, May, and then you wind up having to breed in the peak of summer heat, that's, that's really a challenge in our environment because of how hot it gets, um, how humid it is. So we're, we're in high temperature humidity indexes. We're, we're really challenging cattle from a heat stress standpoint. And then compound that with, we have identified infected tall fescue as pre our predominant forage base in Missouri. So that challenges animals with vasoconstriction and that vasoconstriction makes it even harder to deal with the heat stress. And so historically Missouri has been a, a winter calving type of state. And because of that, if you think through heifer development programs, if we're going to try to breed heifers pretty early in the true spring, we, we would need to be achieving pretty reasonable levels of gain throughout the winter months. And that is hard to do in um, what I would call traditional low input systems where they're based around grazing and based around forage. It's just, it's just hard to get you know, reasonable levels of gain through the winter and have animals set up to, to achieve pretty good pregnancy rates in a early spring kind of breeding program. Now, I, I give that perspective because things are changing in Missouri and actually changing pretty rapidly. In the last couple of decades, we have seen a lot of interest in fall breeding programs really all over the state of Missouri. Um, we see a little bit of interest in true spring um, spring calving programs, and, and that would require summer breeding programs, but that, that is still a challenge. Fall is really a nice opportunity for many of our producers to calve. So I'm talking about something like a September calving, and, and that obviously involves more of a December type of breeding program. But if you think about the opportunity for heifer development in a fall program, we have, we grow a lot of forage in the state of Missouri. We grow a lot of, um, you know, reasonable quality forage, although it does come with the challenge of fescue toxicosis in most cases. But with some good grazing management, um, we can really achieve pretty acceptable gains on just forage with minimal supplementation, or in some cases, even no supplementation, and, and get fall heifers really gaining quite well um, all the way in beginning in the spring, you know, around the time of weaning and, and depending on our summer forage resources through the summer 
and into that fall regrowth, that flush of forage that we get again in the fall, we can achieve pretty good gains in heifers that really facilitate these kind of lower input, you know, lower development targets and actually making them work well just on forage. So that's some of our interest right now in Missouri. We, um, Eric Bailey's program and, and my program at the University of Missouri are uh, collaborate, collaborating on some fairly low input forage-based heifer development programs using the, the cow herd at the Southwest Center, which is um, in the southwestern corner of the state. Um, and we've, we've looked at programs that, this is gonna sound a little bit crazy, but do not supplement heifers at all. And heifers are developed exclusively on forage in either continuous grazing systems or rotational grazing systems, and, and really have achieved surprisingly good pregnancy rates and done so just really economically. Um, so that's, that's part of our interest. Now, historically, Missouri has been a little bit of a higher input state because of that emphasis on, on winter calving systems. And I still think it is a little bit more challenging to develop heifers in, in low input ways over the winter. Um, but because we have a lot of producers in Missouri that are really well-equipped to do heifer development and have a lot of expertise in heifer development from the Showing Select program, um, we're just really excited to look at some alternative models that that, uh, you know, again, I don't think it necessarily is something any one producer has to do any particular way, right? Uh, you, may, you may actually find the numbers favor a higher input system, depending on what you're trying to do. Um, but just to have um, more of an expanded understanding of these lower input opportunities, I think is gonna be good for our state. So for those that are calving in the fall through this, and perhaps through this lower input system, are there, additional or unique market opportunities for them um, for those calves that are coming off of you know either winter pasture or whatever and market opportunities uh, in the spring well that's a, that's a really good question so one thing that um, one thing that we have had on our mind in looking at lower input heifer development systems specifically for fall producers is what happens to those heifers after the breeding program. You know, if you think about it, we, we may uh, put those heifers through a breeding program in December and January, and then forage quality starts to decline a little bit, and, and we may have to begin um, a level of supplementation or a different type of management program over the winter to just keep those animals gaining. Uh, so that changes. But the nice opportunity there is we've also identified which heifers are going to stay, right? Which heifers are the bred heifers that are are going to stay. You know, if, if you think about that um, terminology of the candidate versus the replacement, you know, we, we begin to identify um, as we get further in that process, whether it's a pre-breeding exam or, or some information at breeding or ultimately a pregnancy diagnosis, we begin to, to sort out some of those uh, candidates that really didn't make it. Um, and, and get those animals actually off the farm in the winter. So for example, the open feeder heifers either that uh, failed a pre-breeding exam or that, um, uh, you know, failed to come in heat during a breeding program potentially, or more commonly that just failed to become pregnant at the time of a pregnancy diagnosis, we can get those heifers off of the farm or ranch uh, at a time when feed resources are pretty ex expensive, you know, the months of February, March. Um, and so that, that's an, a nice opportunity from a, a market standpoint. Now, in terms of what we do then with the, the bred females, you know, hopefully at that time we've identified females that really need to be invested in. 
so that we know which animals are really profitable to continue a level of supplementation and continue that, that gain over the winter time. And that would be our early red females. The challenge with these lower input systems in Missouri uh, for fall systems is that we often don't have quite the same market for the later bred heifers. You know, a, a heifer, for example, that's bred to calve in the month of November in the state of Missouri is a little bit harder to market. We just don't quite have that, that um, late fall kind of calving season. In the spring, that's a little bit different, right? If you have a spring uh, breeding season and we, we have some heifers that, let's say we're intending to calve them in the uh, late February to early March range. If we continue and use a longer breeding program on that set of heifers and generate some, um, you know, April and May calving heifers, there often is a market for those somewhere. That may involve heifers being, you know, uh, transported out of state or we may be marketing to producers that are intending to use true spring calving systems in Missouri. But those later bred females really still have some value. In fall programs, that's less so the case. And so built in, in a fall low input system, at least in our state, um, we're, we're often inclined to actually use pretty short breeding seasons. And essentially we're gonna either generate early bred heifers or we're gonna generate open feeder heifers. Um, so that's that's part of how I, I think through that a little bit. If you if you are going to market some bred females, um, often these lower input systems, you are going to have to ramp up the level of supplementation, for example, provided to animals at some point, whether that's after pregnancy diagnosis um, or, or after breeding or, or at some point in that process, because some level of flesh on heifers is, is important, obviously, going into calving. And, and often the market tends to want even more flesh on heifers. Uh, and so we, we need to be cognizant of that as we think about trying to market bred females. Um, so if I'm a producer and I'm considering moving to a fall calving season, how difficult is it to do that? And are there opportunities to do both a spring calving and a fall calving season? You know, th there are, and in some cases, you could make some economic arguments for the value of having both of those types of seasons. Because, for example, now we have, let's say we're going to use some natural service bulls. Now those bulls are essentially um, working in two different breeding seasons, and we've spread the cost of those natural service bulls um, across two different functional cow herds, right, or two different functional heifer development enterprises. And so by doing that, if you think through it, you actually decrease your bull cost by about half. Um, and, and that's just one example. Obviously, we, we can argue some of the same types of things for facilities, um, for um, labor to, to less of a degree, but certainly facilities and bulls and some, some things like that. So I, I do realize there are some economic arguments for having dual calving seasons. There's also some human behavioral arguments against having them, because one of the temptations is that we, uh, we can occasionally find ourselves um, rolling animals from one season to another. So for example, the open animals, the animals that fail to conceive in one breeding program, if we are then moving those into the next breeding program to give them a second opportunity to conceive, in almost every case, that's really not a profitable decision to do. Yeah, it just I realize why it feels like a good idea to individuals because we already own those animals and we, we kind of have that status quo bias of just 
already having the animals on the farm. But that is a real danger because of what it does to the productivity of those cows and just our costs of carrying those cows. Because now that's an extra, in many cases, six months or more that animals are, are held as non-productive animals uh, prior to being bred. So that is, that's one of the dangers uh, with running dual systems in a state where you can run dual systems is just that, that temptation to do those kinds of, of things. Now, moving from a spring to a fall season or from a winter to a fall season, um, I, I'm a big fan of that if the economics of the operation really incline you to do that. And, and certainly in the state of Missouri, uh, fall programs can be really profitable, um, can really reduce some of our cow carrying costs, change some of our nutritional structure a little bit, um, change some of the decisions that we make about, you know, these kinds of topics, how, how intensively we develop heifers, things like that. But it can be a challenge to move an entire cow herd over from spring to fall because of that same issue of just carrying cows as non-productive animals for months. Um, so if you want to do something like that, I'd encourage you to get in touch with an extension specialist in your region and sit down and think through it as a business decision. And, and how do you actually do that? You may find it's more profitable to actually sell out of at least a portion of the cow herd that you currently own and actually seek to identify a set of animals. It's a fall calving set of animals or something like that. Often those are, are wiser business decisions than just rolling a set of animals from one season to another. Um, we also have some strategies to maybe accomplish that over the course of multiple years um, and, and to do that um, slowly. So get in touch with an extension specialist or, or get in touch with me and I'm happy to, happy to think through some of those considerations with you. Well, thanks, Jordan. You know, this is a topic that I think we could talk on uh, for a long time, but as we wrap this up, is there anything else that um, the producers should know about uh, these systems or uh, calving periods and so forth? You know, I think one other thing to mention maybe is just the genetic merit of the animals, because I'm, I'm as I think about these lower input heifer development systems, um, you know, it's hard not to think of some of the other folks that have have talked a lot about these topics at length. So like a Burke Tiger or, or, or someone like that, that really has influenced short breeding programs in heifers and running heifers at fairly low costs um, to, to get that accomplished. So one thing that I think often gets missed or maybe misunderstood in, in these kinds of discussions is that it, it's really not so much a genetic selection program. Um, Admittedly, we're probably putting a little bit of extra pressure on genetics for early puberty attainment and fertility and things like that. I wouldn't necessarily disagree with the producer that feels like they've accomplished um, some progress in those areas just by managing like this. But for the most part, what we're really doing is we're imposing a management system for commercial profitability and productivity. And it's less about moving, it's, it's less about genetic selection for fertility and for puberty attainment, um, because those things aren't extremely, extremely heritable anyway, it's a little bit harder to move the needle on that. So that brings up a point about how do you make genetic progress uh, for those traits of, of heifer fertility and, and puberty attainment, and, and how do you actually move the needle genetically, you know, for the underlying genetics associated with those things. From, from that standpoint, I would encourage producers to really be thoughtful about the bulls that they use to generate replacement heifer candidates 
and and also to be cognizant of some of the um, the technologies that are out there to actually test animals for their genetic merit for some of those traits. So, for example, in thinking about the the bull side of things, you know, we have some genetic predictions. For example, depending on the the breeds that we're talking about for heifer pregnancy, um, for stability or sustained cow fertility, and those are really, really economically important traits. Um, so as you as you think about sire selection, and especially if you're intending to keep heifers out of your own cow herd, um, it, as you think about sire selection that you use on the cows, don't overlook those traits like heifer pregnancy and stability or um, sustained cow fertility, whatever that trait is in your breed. Pay attention to that because that's that's really how we move the needle on the genetic merit of the heifers more so than any of these management systems where we're trying to pick out profitable investments. Likewise, on, on the genomic testing side of things, I'm a big fan of genomic testing um, because I, it gets at some of this underlying genetic merit. The question is just how to use it thoughtfully and profitably as a commercial producer. Um, so if you go in, for example, and take a, a set of heifer calves at weaning and you just genomic test them and you pick out the ones that have the best numbers genomically and you develop only those as your candidates, you know, in, in theory, you did yourself some good from the genetic perspective side of things, but from a management perspective, some of those heifers just aren't going to become early conceiving heifers that we need them to be um, just randomly and, and because of early embryonic loss and things like that. And so we, we got to be careful that um, we don't, we don't make those things become opposing goals where we maybe are accomplishing some genetic progress, but we're giving up some actual commercial productivity that we need to. So a great way to use genomic testing, if that's something that you wanna do in your commercial heifers, is um, for example, develop a pretty large cohort of your heifer calves. You know, Try not to be restri too restrictive at weaning. Get them through one of these breeding programs, identify those heifers that became pregnant and, and that you would potentially consider keeping and genomic test those heifers and make some of those decisions about from this pool of you know, potentially profitable commercial investments, which heifers am I going to pick based on their genetic merit for some of these traits? I, I think that's a great way to use those, those tools and, and use it profitably because it, it, it allows you to make a different decision than you maybe otherwise would have made. Yeah, kind of a stuffed process, right? You kind of have to take your, your entire uh, group um, make some management decisions based on, like you said, conception and so forth. And then from those, okay, which of these are the genetic, um, the genetic outliers that I need to keep, right? Yeah, I think so. And I think it, that that's a great way to say it, Mike, is as a stepped approach, you know, um, if you, I guess I'd refer folks to the extension publication I put together, it's just called Selection of Commercial Replacement Heifers. Um, you can find that on MU Extension or get a hold of me if you if you want me to send you a copy of it. I'm happy to. But that's the way I try to walk through it. Is you know we've got these management events of weaning and uh, of a pre-breeding exam and of breeding and of pregnancy diagnosis. And if you think about it, we can be really restrictive at any one of those events. Um, but the question is just when should we be restrictive and what, uh, you know, which event is when we really need to draw a line. And from my perspective, pregnancy diagnosis is really when heifer selection occurs. And, and up to that point, we're just picking potential candidates. But at, at pregnancy diagnosis, when we can 
get a feel for when those heifers actually conceived within the breeding season. Potentially also pull some genomic samples and look at their genetic merit for, for traits that are really economically important. That's just a much better way to do heifer selection uh, than it is to you know, walk out into a pen of heifer calves at weaning and, and pick the pretty ones. Right, it's that old cowboy sense, right? I can, I can pick out the heifers. Um, Jordan, as we wrap this up, how do, how do people, if they want to read that extension publication, how do they do that? And then how do they contact you? Yeah, um, so that extension publication, if you go to extension.missouri.edu and you search for selection and replacement heifers or any, any one of those terms, it, it'll be the first thing that pops up. Um, a, another good resource I always point folks towards is um, some of the social media platforms that we try to maintain a presence on. So we have a Facebook page, um, Mizzou Repro, and a YouTube channel by the same name. And we have some short videos and, and posts related to topics like this. Um, I write a fair bit for um, popular press too. Um, and so if, um, you know, if you want to read some uh, more lay type articles on the topic of so, uh, selection of replacements, I did a couple for Progressive Cattle, I believe it was last year, where uh, it was kind of a two-part series, just walk through some of this, uh, some of this concept of, you know, a stepped approach to doing that. Uh, the other thing I would point folks towards is, you know, if you recall back to our, the beginning of our conversation, some folks need to not be developing replacement heifers because it's not a profitable enterprise for them based on, you know, their costs of production or, or what exactly it is that they're trying to do. And so if you find that to be the case, um, the Show Me Select Replacement Heifer Program in Missouri is a great opportunity to buy some heifers that, you know, have a known um, expected calving date that's based on an early pregnancy diagnosis um, that have gone through a defined management program from a, you know, a health standpoint, um, you know, are, are bred to sires that have to meet certain requirements. Uh, that can be a really great way to get some high quality and also high information heifers. Um, so if you, if you find that developing your own replacements, replacements doesn't make sense, uh, you might consider Show Me Select as a, as a potential source. Well, great, Jordan. I really appreciate your time today. Uh, and thanks for that great information. Oh, I appreciate it. Thanks for the conversation. I enjoyed it. You bet. Well, that wraps up our Bova News podcast for today. Uh, certainly, if you like what you heard, be sure to follow Bova News on your favorite podcast subscription service. And while you're at it, go ahead and follow us on the various social media platforms and subscribe to our YouTube page. And be sure to check out our website, bovanews.com, for more information and alerts to upcoming podcasts and webinars. This has been your host, Mike Opperman, and from everyone at Bova News, have a great day.